What's up, beautiful people? It is your girl, Amber Jones, and we are back for another episode of The Revival, Faith, Justice, and Culture for the Now Generation. Y'all, y'all just keep on blessing me, okay? Y'all just keep on blessing me. I, I've i just been so filled by the reception of the Revival Vote series and I'm just so grateful to be bringing content to you that is relevant and right at the heart of what's going on in our community. So thank you so much for your feedback. Thank you so much for all the shares, all the likes, all the support. Please keep sharing. Please keep supporting. This came on my heart months ago, months ago. And so I'm glad to see it finally coming to back to pass. So y'all, we have a heavy hair on the podcast today. When I say a veteran in this game, a veteran, I am so honored to bring the representative Rena Moran to the podcast today. When I tell you, oh, I am so grateful to share space with her, both in my church as well as in the community and in politics. I have seen this woman lead and she is always leading with love, with grace and with truth. She's always bringing together younger generations under her care. And she knows how to build coalitions to work across difference, but still firmly hold her identity as a black woman, as a mother, as a community leader. So I am so grateful to bring to you Representative Rhea Moran, who is now transitioning her focus from the state level to now running for county commissioner in Ramsey County. You are going to be incredibly blessed by this conversation. Without further ado, my episode with Representative Rhea Moran. <laughs> excited to have such a champion in our community, uh, an elected official who has been consistently advocating for Black people in our uh, state, um, in Ramsey County, in the city of St. Paul, uh, and I'm blessed to know her in a multitude of ways um, as someone who has worked with her in the legislature um, as I was in the governor's office, but also as a member of my church and just being able to see her in multiple lights, see her serving, to see her preaching and doing so much in our community. So I'm so grateful to have uh, currently representing Rena Moran, future commissioner Rena Moran here at the Revival. Hello, how are you? Oh, Amber, thank you. Uh, you know, thank you for the um, really nice introduction of me. Uh, <clears throat> you know, sometimes I'm at all, I'll be like, who are they talking about, you know? <laughs> but I also wanted to say thank you for your service and your leadership, you know, thank from you. the work that you have done from the council, the African-American Council of Minnesotans. I probably didn't mm -hmm. say that right, right? <laughs> 
but then to the governor's office and now to the African-American Leadership Forum. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, even more importantly, your service and how you're serving a greater God, mm-hmm. right? Thank that guides and direct us. So thank you. And it's, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Um, before we get started, I need to list your credentials so people know exactly who we are speaking with this evening. Uh, so uh, Rena Moran currently represents District 65A in the Minnesota House of Representatives, and she has done so since 2010. She has chaired various committees, but most recently she chaired the House's Ways and Means or the chair of the House's Budget Committee. That is huge to be in senior leadership, a Black woman sharing all the money, all the money, <laughs> huge deal. Um, but she has recently retired from the state legislature after serving over a decade. And now she is seeking the office of Ramsey County Commissioner in District 4. She's originally from Chicago and she has a background in early childhood education. Um, so before we get started in the meat of our conversation, I love to ask people, and I would love to hear your response, um, but how does your faith motivate you to pursue a just and free world? Hmm. Think on it. <laughs> okay. Is that for me? Yes, that's for you. Okay, that's for me. <laughs> so how do my faith guide me to create a more just and fair world? Mm-hmm. that's just what it does right mm-hmm. um as a believer um uh, and a believer that um god is always searching for justice for right. fairness and all those things to me is wrapped around in like what we talk about when we say equity right because mm-hmm. equity is just about being fair and just mm-hmm. and um i don't know how to come to my work any other way mm-hmm. than to do it that way um, and to say that, you know, government has a role to play in people's lives. Mm-hmm. I would even say that God, uh, that, well, God too, uh, you know, but government has a role to make people's lives better, mm-hmm. right? And that's what my teaching of faith tell me too, that, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, God was able to um, come down from heaven, and walk this earth through Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. To show us, just in case we didn't know mm-hmm. what to do and how to do and how to be, mm-hmm. he showed us, mm-hmm. right? He walked with us. He solved the lame. He solved the poor. Mm-hmm. He solved the hungry. He solved those who was not in favor of their community of government mm-hmm. and said, this is the work that we need to do. Mm-hmm. And that's the work and how I see my role in government to serve the underserved, the poor, the less than. There is no throwaways, none at all, period. You know, I'm one who believes in second chances, but probably also third and fourth and fifth chances too, you know, because there is no throwaways. So my my faith really helps to guide me to be humble, to be uh, in those really stressful moments when I'm like, this is too tough, or this is not right, or all the things that we think that are, uh, that are unjust and unfair is that higher spirit that keeps me mm-hmm. and allows me to keep going. So I can't do what I do without it. I don't, I don't want to do without it, nor do I want to do it without having a praying group of people around me. So when people ask me, what can I do, Rain? How can I help? I say, keep me in your prayers. 
Yes. You do that. That's that's it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I, I love, there's so much I love that you said. Um, but even that last piece, the power of prayer is so incredibly important. Um, we know that we have to act with our prayers. Uh, mm-hmm. But prayer is where we allow God to step in and do the impossible. Yes, right. Allow um that's how we allow the Lord to even equip us and build us and give us strength that we couldn't have on our own so please do not denounce the power of prayer a lot of times it gets it gets um it gets categorized as being passive and it's like no it's one piece in a bigger puzzle but we can't denounce prayer (laughs) that's right that's right I would say it's one of the most important roles. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. And you know, you know, um, fate without works is dead, you know, so you have to put some action behind it. But just mm-hmm. being in prayer just really centers and guides and directs your path, even when you believe the impossible is going to mm-hmm. be possible. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you. So I'm excited to talk to you about just your career in politics and um, the things that you have learned along the way. I feel like there's so much that um, we can can glean from you as someone who has been such a trailblazer. And then also mm-hmm. the, the shift that you are making in this stage of your political career. So can you just share more about your journey to the House and through the House over these last um, 12-ish years and um, just what are some things you are most proud of and what are some of the biggest challenges you have had? Wow. So I guess first my journey into politics, um, I'm not one who um, really salt politics. Right. You know, I'm not that little girl who grew up and say one day I want to be president or one day I want, you know, to be a part of government. I am not that person. At the basic level, I am a mother. Mm-hmm. A mother of seven children now, a grandmother of many um, who learned back when she was a little girl, the, the power of community and being connected to a community. Right. And I grew up in that type of community. So much like what we talk about here in Minnesota about the Rondo community. That was my community back in Chicago, where we all were, you knew your neighbors. You know, all the kids played together, went to all two into the same school. The local community, the store around the corner, you know, was a reflection of me. When I went to the clinic, I saw people at the clinic that was a f- reflection of me. And so um, just having that ground basics around community is like where I found like my first taste of activism right Mm -hmm. coming here to Minnesota and um you know my journey my my journey is not an easy journey or a simple journey right because I came here homeless with six of my seven kids right living in a shelter took four months to find housing because we know housing is unaffordable right it is quite unaffordable took four months to that but when I finally found housing I found it right here in this in the Rondo community unbeknownst to me I did not know right but God has another plan for you I just tell you he does mm-hmm. um, and I showed up and my first type of thought was I, I have my four sons here with me not negating my two daughters but it was my four sons because I thought wow if now we, we have housing no one knows me on the block no one knows my kids mm-hmm. You know, if they would see my four black sons outside 
in the front or walking down the street on the porch, they're gonna make some assumptions. Mm -hmm. And those assumptions could be, they must be a part of a game. Oh, they must be hanging out because they're selling drugs. Oh, they're troublemakers, right? And not because any of that is true, but just because they're white, just because they're black. Mm -hmm. And we have this perceptions that we um, have formed around our black youth and who they are and whom they are. So it's important for me to get to know my neighbors. I just right. I just bought that basic piece with me. Get to know my neighbors and just say they were doing something they shouldn't be doing. I wanted my neighbors to know it was okay to come and knock on my door and say, I saw my son doing something. And I would say, okay, I would take care of it and thank you, right? And we go from that space. But getting to know your neighbors and you know, house by house, block by block is what I started off doing. And when I was finally able to, like, from being homeless and five years later, I was buying my home here in the Rondo community. I was like, okay, I'm, I got to dig deep now. I got to know the community more. This is where I want to stay. What did that look like? And I kept hearing about Rondo, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's what I tapped in. I tapped into a community, which eventually the city came through and paved my streets. And then they wanted to assess us for it when they didn't pave the streets in front of my house. Mm. And I like, oh, I dare them. They're going to assess me. <laughs> and I got angry and I got mad. I went to uh, work the next day and I, I drew up a petition. I came home that evening and I walked everybody's house in the two block radius and, and complained about how they had paved the street and how they were going to assess us for it. And found out that people were just angry about a lot of other things that had been happening. Mm -hmm. Right. And I sent that out. Um, I found a local nonprofit and I um, went to them and I emailed that uh, petition to the streets of sanitation because I didn't know where it would go. Where it would go. <laughs> and they was like, well, let's try this. And you know what happened? I sent that petition out and they responded to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, I'm just this mother mm -hmm. here in the neighborhood. And they responded to me and gave me an explanation about what they did and what they were going to do. Mm. And so that was my like first feeling that, you know, as a mother in a new place in the community that I wasn't raised in, maybe I'm not so powerless. Yeah. Maybe I have some power. And just from a series of other events, it came a time where my that I knew I wanted to be a part of creating laws. Mm. that was fair and just, right? The, the, the words again, right? Mm -hmm. Laws that was fair and just, because we know as African-Americans that laws have not been fair and just for us. And I wanted to do that. I had never ran from any other office or did anything political. Mm -hmm. The first time I ran, it was the first time I went to a caucus and became a delegate and brought 10 other people with me to do the same. And so um, I ended up winning. Right after running and running uh, against an endorsed candidate, because I believed in the power of people to yes. go to the polls and vote. And if you show up at, at their house, if you knock on their doors, even those who believe they're not because they're too busy with life, they will show up and vote when they can see and trust the person who's knocking on their doors talking to them. Mm -hmm. And because of that, here I am, like 12 years later you know, as a state representative, uh, sharing one of the most powerful committees in the legislature. Mm. Who would have guessed? Mm -hmm. Who would have guessed? <laughs> uh, not me. Do you, do you think if, had you known today, 
the role that God would have taken you in politics back then? Do you think you would have ever even tried? I probably would have folded, right? I would have yeah. folded said, God, no, that's not for me. You know, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. You know, um, no. Right? <laughs> and, and I think that's what we as women do often yeah. when, when we have an opportunity to move into different areas or arenas um, that shows our growth, we resist first and say, no, you know, I'm not ready. I think I need to go and just get a little bit more formal education. Mm -hmm. I just need to know a little bit more. And I'm just going to say out loud that you have everything you need to do what you've been called to do at that moment. And if you don't, you bring other people in who do to help you along the way. And so, you know, um, yeah, you know, politics is, 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 um, it's not always nice. It's not always easy. Um, it's not always inclusive, you know, um, but, you know, knowing all of that and, and seeing that journey, mm-hmm. um, it, it has been good. Mm-hmm. It's been good. It's been okay. It's been all right. I, I am <laughs> glad that I had a little 16 year old daughter when I went to her and said, you know what, I'm thinking about running. Mm-hmm. And when I run, when I come home, I'm not going to be mom to you. I'm going to be candidate Rena Moran. <laughs> and when I'm candidate Rena Moran, I'm just telling you, I'm, I might need to go into my bedroom and close my door. Mm-hmm. And I would need you to give me the space to just prepare and, 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 and work and think things out. Mm-hmm. And it was her who said to me that mom, you're out in the community, you're doing a bunch of things, you seem to enjoy doing the things that you do. If you think that you should run, then you should run. And I said, okay. I said, okay. That's beautiful. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Just, um, Just even making sure you have the support of your family is so, so essential when you're serving a community because Mm -hmm. you've already talked about like, just as a mother, like this is what I'm trying to do to make my block, my community better for the sake of my family. And then it continues to flow out from there. And so um, it's just it's just beautiful to really hear that, like from the support of your family comes, you know, being able to, to build and grow as a leader for your community and for the public, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, really, quite frankly, you know, my baseline is really simple. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just simple. It is about children family and community yeah that's it very basic and so any issue that you talk about whether it's housing or um, uh, having a small business or education or family support service whatever it it aligns with children family and community because I see the world through those lens of how um, is our education system supporting our children our black kids Mm And what do we need to make it better? Do we have a criminal justice system that is a justice system, mm-hmm. right? Do we have health and human service where we're all getting served and have our healthcare needs been met? You know, if it's about the light rail, I want to know how the light rail is going to interact with the community that it's going through. You know, as like the, the green line for my community isn't going to stop and pick us up. Mm-hmm. One of the most transit dependent 
part of the green line. You can't go through that community and not, not stop and pick people up. They are the most mm -hmm. transit dependent. So it might, I'm really basic and to me, you know, it's like, how do we lift people up? Mm -hmm. Because I really believe that um, I've never heard one person at the state level in my community or outright say to me, all I want to do is let the have the government take care of me. That's all I want. No, I hear people saying, I don't care what they basic income, they, they want to be self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to take care of themselves and their family and be contributing people in society. And so I would say that uh, government has served some and not all. Mm -hmm. And so my, my drive is always to find those spaces where we are working as a government entity to lift probably parents. As, as, a, as a mother, I do that too, right? That we're gonna work to try to lift people up so that they can just be the best that they are or that they can be and realize not, not everyone's gonna be on the same level or whatever that is, you know? But we have a role to do it. And we have a role to do it through a trauma-informed strength-based lens, mm -hmm. not this deficit-based type of um, government that I think we see sometimes, yeah. that we have sometimes. You know, um, we want to, I want to go upstream. I'm a prevention person. I want to pre pre prevent the things that we see on the back end. Mm -hmm. You know, and if I need to um, intervene, you know, let's intervene. Um, but I truly believe that the work can be more effective and we can be better stewards of our money, mm -hmm. of the state money, if we can be more proactive and stop allowing things to happen on the back end and then try to respond to that back end when people have gotten to the lowest of the low the deepest of the deep and you know we can do better mm -hmm. and so um that has been the work that i try to do it legislatively to invest into the community so that people can have an opportunity to just be the best that they can be whatever that is mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about like your career in the legislature. Um, you came in at a much different time than we are in now. Um, so there's a lot of uh, perspective. Mm. Um, also, you came in at a time where there was very few of us. <laughs> yeah, very few of us currently serving. Um, in the legislature and that has since grown um, mm -hmm. over your time and just even being able to get to more of a place of seniority within several caucuses that you are a part of. So we would love to hear more about just the scope of your tenure in the house yeah. um, and just some of the things that you have gleaned on that journey. So you're right. So when I first came into the Minnesota House of Representatives, I was the first black person from St. Paul to be in the, to represent St. to at, in, at the Capitol, at the Capitol, representing St. Paul, the first mm -hmm. person, male or female. And I was like, in I was sworn in in 2011. Even at that time, I was like, wow, this is 2011, really? Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, and so, you know, in a body of 134 is one black female mm -hmm. in Minnesota house. Uh, I was a little bit lucky because I did have Jeff um, Hayden and um, and Bobby Joe Champion 
Mm-hmm. But I think within that year or the, within those two years, they went over to the Senate. Mm-hmm. So I found myself as the only black person in the body of 134 all by myself. Wow. Right. And it was like in my first 30 days of being sworn in and been in my office at the Capitol where, you know, you have people coming in every day, all day, meeting at the meeting, at the meeting, introducing themselves to you, telling you what type of program they have, why we need to continue to invest in them, why it's good for Minnesota, right? That was what I saw and and that's what happened. Um, But it was like 30 days in to that process that I, I, I paused and said, wait, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people, but I'm not seeing my people. Mm. And I'm like, I only got here because a lot of people worked hard and believed in me mm. to help me get to where I am today. And I'm like, there's some awesome nonprofit organizations back out there in my district who are doing like transformational work. Mm-hmm. And they need to be up here introducing mm-hmm. themselves to this body. And I get it. You know, we're busy back home. We're doing a lot. I get it. So part of my initial work was just to bring those organizations and get them kind of like trained mm-hmm. about how do you educate legislators, right? We don't use the word lobbies because nonprofits cannot lobby, but you can educate us. And we mm-hmm. need to be educated on the issues that are impacting our community, but also the solutions to how we are like really transforming people's lives back in the community when we are a part of their lives. Mm-hmm. And so immediately that happened, you know, but I've had a really good opportunity you know, the carry bills for the St. Paul Promise neighborhood. I passed my first uh, in the minority, passed my first education transportation bill uh, in the minority, right? With mm-hmm. Republicans in the majority. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened. And it's tough when you're in a minority because you don't hold no agenda. Mm-hmm. You don't get a say so in anything mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> um, to look back and introduce the you know, African-American Family Preservation Act because the number of black kids were being removed from their homes and not put with family members, a very unjust process and very traumatizing process. Mm-hmm. Introducing the Women of Color Opportunity Act mm-hmm. that focused on girls and women. You know, in a time when folks was like, it is our black men and boys who's having a hard time. Why are you focusing on them? I'm like, I can do both. And okay. we can do both. Yes. We don't have to choose. They both need some support here. We, um, and, and doing, right? Um, but then, you know, also being chair of Health and Human Service, which was a huge learning experience for me about how to be a chair of, of a committee and still be fair and just about mm-hmm. the issues that, um, that the bills that come before the body to be heard, right? And creating space for both from both sides to have an opportunity, you know, to share their thoughts and, you know, their experience with the body. Um, And I have just, you know, it has been just important to me as a mother, as a Black mother, as a Black legislator who do my work through a race equity lens. Mm -hmm. I can't help it. I do know that race plays a role in how we invest and disinvest. And so for me, it's really important to do my work through a race conscious lens to talk about race, to talk about the Black community, because 
you know, we was like slaves, mm-hmm. right? We had an abundance of Jim Crow laws that cropped up after the Emancipation Proclamation, mm-hmm. you know, that put us back into servitude. Mm-hmm. You know, we have redlining. There's a lot that has happened that was done by elected officials. Mm-hmm. They were presidents. Mm-hmm. They were governors. Mm-hmm. They were state state legislatures. Mm-hmm. It was, they were city councils and mayors. And so my job and my hope is to always raise up what is happening, probably with a story and some history, right? So that, you know, if you don't know the history, yes. we're going we're gonna to educate you a little bit more so you can know it because our school don't really teach black history. Right. Um, and, and then because what I said to my colleagues is that you know, we have to know this history. We have to know this pathway that happened, whether it's 200 years ago or 400 years ago or yesterday, it happened. Mm-hmm. And our job as legislators is to do no more harm. And when you don't know something, you are more apt to pass something or dislike something because you are not educated on it. And we keep repeating these inequities mm-hmm. right or thinking and believing that you need to do things for us instead of doing it with us mm-hmm. or validating it that what the experience that i have had and what my kids had and what my ancestors had is real right it is real and and those stories mean something and they're powerful mm-hmm. so it's, it's always important to me to bring into that body these stories and I say that because I've learned as a legislator that we can bring the data and the facts to the table, right? But so can our Republicans. They bring their data and their facts to the table too. And now we have competing information. Right. Like, okay, where's the real truth at? But your story, no one can never negate your story, mm-hmm. right? And it is within those stories I have seen as a legislator that those stories have been the most impactful in changing legislators' mind around an issue or an investment Mm -hmm. into our community or across the state. It is those stories. So I've seen this pathway as a a state representative, you know, um, coming in fresh new, never been in an office before. Uh, And I think what works for me as a community organizer what I learned back in the community a long time ago was that um, in the power of doing a one-to-one, yeah. right? So I went into the legislature. I was one of three Democrats. There was 33 new Republicans that came in. It was the height of the Tea Party era. Yeah. Wow. The, and many of those Republicans that came with me are tea, were Tea Party core, mm-hmm. right? And they was in the majority. They had the House and they had the Senate. Mm-hmm. And so my first initial thought is, and folks will tell you early in the process, you know, you, you're not going to get anything done, right? So just don't expect anything. But my expectation was that I would do one-to-ones with my Democratic colleagues and my Republican colleagues, because mm-hmm. I just was curious. I'm just always curious. And I'm like, well, where are you raised? Who are your parents? Why do you think that way? You know, and and really through those one-to-ones and through those conversations that I had with other legislators, 
you form relationships. Mm-hmm. Some you let go and say, it's, it's, there's no hope. Um, they're, they're where they at and they're not going to change. And others, you uh, sometimes are open to um, being more informed. But I, I would definitely say that in that first year of moving a bill, uh, in the in majority, it was because of those one-to-ones mm-hmm. that I took time to have. When I didn't have nothing else to do because I was in the minority, I just wanted <laughs> to know what drive people. And I found that commonality around education that moved that bill to pass and become law. Yeah. Wow. Um, we'll see how Yeah. So, I mean, there's just so much there. Um, and just even, you know, we talk, there's so much polarization in politics, you know, and it's continuing to grow by the day. Um, but even in the midst of that, like still being able to make those inroads, still holding true to your values mm-hmm. um, and the core of why you're even in office, but also knowing that you're there to govern. And often you have to, you, like you say, there's 134 people in the house. We got to find a way to make some things work. And there's just, there's so much value, like you said, and mm-hmm. building those one-to-one connections and seeing yeah. the commonalities because sometimes it can feel like there, there can be no commonalities, but yeah, you, you come to learn that there actually is opportunity for some type of collaboration and, um, or being able to move the needle on an issue or move a particular legislator from one side to the other, like with the power of storytelling and um, all these other things. So it's just really, that just continues to be something that's like top of mind. Like even in the midst of our political climate today, there is still room to Mm -hmm. make those critical connections. I mean, really, I think what I just heard you say is um, one thing that just caught my mind is to is that you're you're making those inroads, yeah. right? That you're making those connections, that you're allowing something to happen. Yeah. And if I'm I'm a true believer that my community did not bring me to the capital to bring their voices and their stories and to bring them to the capital to get nothing done, that's right? Crazy. And that's a hard thing for some people to like understand because it's like, you gotta stand for this and this is where you are. If they don't come from come to, come to where you are, then it's no deal, mm-hmm. you know? And then you have the, the, those on the other side saying the same thing, right? right? And at some point, you know what? You take your wins mm-hmm. and you come back and you get another win. Mm-hmm. And you come back and do another win, but doing nothing and having no wins to mm-hmm. me, um, it wasn't an option to me. And quite frankly, I didn't think it was okay to do that's right. <laughs> have no wins at all, you know. Uh, and that's the beast of the politics. And I get why people don't like politics because of you know sometimes you have to talk to people that you don't like that you hate who are like all the way on the other side. And I, I get it, right? Um, but you, you have a mission before you, mm-hmm. right? And quite frankly, I think my community deserve it and need it. They need it and they deserve right. to have investments come into District 65A. Mm-hmm. They deserve to have better schools right here in their community mm-hmm. and the resources to make it better. Mm-hmm. We deserve to have housing that is decent housing 
right here in this community, as diverse as it is with a medium income. I think back then when I made it about 40,000, 35, 40,000 as a medium income, mm-hmm. you know, we deserve, you know, investment from the state. It's just as, as anyone else from across the state of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the, 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 the beauty, but also the beast in being a state legislator, mm-hmm. because I don't just represent 65a right Mm -hmm. i have to be able to see the whole state i have to see the other not just ramsey county but also the 86 other counties because Mm -hmm. there's every legislators here is representing their constituency Mm -hmm. their their county and um at some point we have to come together to get the work done Mm -hmm. sometimes it's better than others yeah (laughs) awesome so you are turning the corner right you are on your way out of the legislature um and you know i saw this uh picture i think you all recently had dinner at taste of rondo shout to taste around yummy try it black owned restaurant um meeting with the black caucus and it was just so exciting and i know that wasn't even everybody who was who's in the black caucus the ublc um but to just see how like our representation is growing um, at the legislature and how you have been very instrumental in that. And so being able to leave behind um, a legacy, you know, behind Mm -hmm. you that's going to be carried on. Um, But now you're taking a new step um, in your political career, you're running for county commissioner. First of all, why leave the house and then run for county commissioner. I know that part of it is like, there's been some leadership changes in your district with um, county commissioner uh, Tony Carter retiring. But outside of that, like why do you feel like it's time to do something new? So um, let me just go first and just say that picture of our United Black Legislative Caucus, our UBLC, mm-hmm. we were sitting in, um, and it was intentional, right? We were like, okay, we've made it past the primary. We got some first Black women senators to ever in 2022 going into the Senate, right? We, <laughs> you know, so it's like, we need to get together. We need to celebrate that. We just mm-hmm. need to sit down and just have a good time. Just eat, you know, and break bread and, and just be, yes. right? But I remember I was all the way at the other end of the table, like from one end to the other end. And I just kept sitting there, you know, just smiling from ear to ear, just saying to myself, this is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. This is a beautiful visual. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, this is just beautiful. Yeah. I just had to say it out loud to them. I'm like, hey, you guys, this is it's beautiful. Um. And I'm, I'm very proud of the folks around that table. Uh, it has been some incredible time in the legislature with our United Black Caucus, along with our People of Color Indigenous Caucus, our Posse Caucus. But, you know, uh, and let me just say this. I am stepping down from the legislature to step up to run for Ramsey County. Right. And had this opportunity happen probably about five years ago, I would have most likely have said, it's, it's not time. Mm-hmm. It's not time for me to move on. Mm-hmm. That, that, that picture where you saw all those black legislators or the photos you see with our, uh, our posse caucus, 
that was not there and it wasn't yeah. strong, right? It was not there. And I know I would could not have left the state legislature thinking that work has been done or work will continue on, right? And mm-hmm. so every day I, I wake up and still today I wake up and I know the honor and the privilege it has been to be in the Minnesota House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. There are days that I still pinch myself and I look up at the um, in the, uh, the the house chamber in all this beauty and be like, wow, mm-hmm. you're, you're here. Yeah. You're here, right? So it has been an awesome, awesome experience. I have just built some really good relationships. I have learned a lot. I have been able to chair a, a couple of committees, big committees. You know, um, I have been able to be in those rooms, uh, negotiating, looking at the budget, um, find out all those back secrets about how things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has been an awesome thing to do that. But when I heard that Tony Carter, my commissioner, mm-hmm. had decided to step down, you know, initially I didn't think much about it, right? Because I'm I'm still filling the house and like there's so much to do. But it took me a couple of days. It took me a couple of days, and I was like, Rena. You used to be chair of Health and Human Service. A lot of the bills that you're carrying is like county stuff. It's county issues, you know. And really, if you allow this moment to pass you by and not step into it, you're going to regret it. Mm -hmm. You're going to regret coming back home to St. Paul in Ramsey County, doing the work that is closest to the people, Mm -hmm. closest to the issues, and closest to the solutions mm-hmm. of how we can make government make the lives of people, of children, families, and communities better. And you get a chance to do this and bring a racial equity lens to the table too. Because Ramsey County do have some of the worst disparities in the state, mm-hmm. even worse than Hennepin County. Mm-hmm. And I say Hennepin County because I've been like wow. the St. Paul legislator be like, well, what about St. Paul? Well, what about St. <laughs> Paul? St. Paul is here too. And I get it, you know, my colleagues, you know, on the other side of the river, a lot been going over there, going on over there and everything they get they deserve. But I think St. Paul has been like that shadow behind them. And, you know, our children from the community deserve good investments. We need to work on those um, disparities. Mm -hmm. And so I, I saw the opportunity. I visualized myself playing a role to make people's lives better. And when folks said to me, but it's like, but Rena, you are the chair of Ways and Means. It's the most powerful committee, you know, or, or they would say, Rena, you, you've been such a huge advocate and uh, for us and for our organization. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm a little bit scared about what that means. Mm-hmm. And I was able and still are able today to stand up in confidence and say that we have an awesome UBLC yeah. who is going to show up who have showed up. We declared racism a public health crisis at the state level. Mm-hmm. We created a select committee on racial justice. And as chair of ways and means, I said to my chairs, we are going to do our work through a race equity lens because we have disparities that we as a state need to work on eliminating. Mm-hmm. Right? And I was like, you know, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. But what an awesome opportunity to take that type of leadership back home to St. Paul and Ramsey County and do that work. 
you know, I don't have to focus on the other 86 counties. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't have to, you know, be in this battle with uh, competing ideologies about mm-hmm. how to best do that. And so uh, really, I got excited. Mm-hmm. I got really excited. And I had a core group of people who came to me and said, we want to do this with you, mm-hmm. you know, uh, knowing that there's nothing that I can do by myself. Mm-hmm. But we need a great team, great leaders, great young folks coming to the table who knows the power of politics and why they need to be involved in it. I was like, let's go, let's do this. Let's, let's do it. And, and so I can leave the state legislature knowing and believing that there are some awesome, awesome uh, folks there mm-hmm. who have had a, to, uh, a beginning taste of what it looks to lead through a race equity lens, to look at disparities, to look at going up upstream, you know, how to place folks of color into positions of power, you know, and, and not stay stuck on, this is the way we've always done it. So this is the way we need to keep doing it, mm-hmm. right? Because if we do that, there are so many people who have so much potential to lead and chair who won't do it if we just come to the table with those types of lands. But we need you in office. We need Black mm-hmm. folks in office. We need, we, we need Black folks to say that it has been politics and policies that have kept us in a place. And I'm the first to say we have to take some some self-responsibility, right? right? We have a role to play to make our life better too. No one can do that better than ourselves. Let me just say that. No (laughs) one can do that better than ourselves. We have a role to play, right? Mm -hmm. We can only give you some tools to work with, but you have to be in a place and healthy, which is why I'm so excited to be able to help introduce House File 3372 that focus Mm -hmm. on trauma and mental health and well-being. These last two years for COVID has been really, really tough on our community, right? right? And we're seeing that play out in so many different ways. And if we don't do something immediately, we're going to see, as we know, the uh, or Black kids, um, the learning growth um, uh, has, you know, it's not where it should be. So we have decreased, and we saw a decrease in that growth, right? I think they're like falling like two grades behind, right? We have seen George Floyd been murdered. We are seeing so many other young black men's murder at the hands of the police. We, you know, we have seen our kids removed from our homes and not put with the grandmother or the auntie. It's like just trauma on top of the trauma. And we have to be able to say that this this trauma that we are enduring as black people, and we need other folks who don't look like black folks to know that trauma happens to us. And we have to have services available to help us. And really for the first time ever this year, I think more than ever before, I've heard Black people say, I need help. Mm-hmm. I need to see someone. I need to talk to someone. So we, I mean, I'm like double whammy, right? We are now standing ourselves. And so we have to create those opportunities where our children and our families community, Black children, Black families, and those in the Black community can have access to professionals that is a reflection of them who knows that journey and understand that journey. And they feel comfortable with them knowing Mm -hmm. that they understand that struggle and know how to respond to it. So more than anything, you know, this year has been a a year of like saying, we have to tackle the mental health and be Mm -hmm. culturally competent in how we are doing the work that we do at the Mm -hmm. state level. 
And I'm excited to bring that to the county. I'm just excited to bring all that, all the work, all the experience, all the expertise. And you know what? I'm not going anywhere. I am just transitioning. I am just transitioning. You know, I am totally invested in what still happens at the Capitol, knowing that what happened to the in the Capitol is connected to what happens also in Ramsey County. There's an interconnectedness there that I'm going to utilize, validate, recognize, validate, and utilize um, to do the best that I can do for the children, the families, and the communities right here in Ramsey County. You know, but I can't do that unless people go out and vote. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, please go out and vote. Thank you so much. I just wanted to, um, before we transition, I just wanted to briefly ask you more about what does the county do? You know, like what does the county do? What is the power of the county um, on a very like, just like basic Basically. level, what do they control? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. what's our, you know, I think we might hear the word, oh, Ramsey County this or Ramsey County that, but um, I don't think it wasn't until I got into government that I really sat with just how expansive the county's services mm-hmm. and how it impacts residents and Black residents specifically. So just like, if you could just mm-hmm. list like, if you could just list some of the, the key things that the, the county control. Wait a minute. Yes. I have my daughter here, my granddaughter. Say oh, hi, because she, hey. say hi. <laughs> so, um, you know, I have not met a person yet that have asked that question. Mm. That question, what do the county do? Mm-hmm. So really, you know, so the, the county does work around support services. Mm-hmm. So if you're falling on hard times and you know, you lost your job, you go down to the county and you get services, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that's cash or food stamps or <clears throat> that piece. So they, they, they do that support services piece. Mm-hmm. They also are working, they are also working very hard. I bring it to you, I'll bring it to you. They also, <laughs> they also are working very hard around homelessness that we see the encampments when COVID hit and we had the homeless outside. And with the federal dollars, they was able to take those federal dollars and then put them into um, safe places mm-hmm. in a very humane type of way, right? Not mm-hmm. where we give homeless people a cot to sleep in for the night and then the day they wander around to come back in the evening. So that's a deficit-based type of thinking, right? Mm-hmm. We need to have a really holistic, comprehensive um, role mm-hmm. in supporting or eliminating homelessness. So they work with homelessness. They also do, do a lot of work around juvenile justice. Yes. You remember back at some time we was talking about uh, Totem Town and whether Totem Town was the place that we needed to put our youth, specifically our young men. But what they found was that 90% of the, the uh, young men that was in Totem Town was African-Americans. They were picking up African-Americans, put them in Totem Town and put them in lockup where they were saying, uh, taking up white boys back to their homes, back out in the suburbs, mm-hmm. right? So we, they deal with juvenile justice and the criminal justice system. They also do a lot of work around infrastructure. Mm-hmm. They also do work around transportation, um, uh, they, uh, around the environment, you know, cleaning up land. And mm-hmm. so they, 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 do, they do all of that. They, really, they do what we do at the legislature, but mm-hmm. it is focused on at the county level, right? 
like into communities mm-hmm. and how they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's the, the good part for me, right? Because it's seven county commissioners uh, in Ramsey County. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm running to represent district four mm-hmm. um, uh, right here in Ham, Hamlex and Frogtown and Summit U and um, this Lozer Park. I'm, I'm still learning, right? After the whole redistricting, all the neighborhoods that is embedded within District 4. Um, yeah. But I, I think, you know, that's, you know, they are the executive. You know, they themselves get to decide mm-hmm. what those investments look like. You know, uh, it doesn't have to bring in you know, the, the Senate and the House and the negotiate with the governor and all this, the state, you know, folks. And it is it is the commissioners themselves who have the executive power mm-hmm. to make those type of decisions, from what I know. I will learn more once I get there, right? <laughs> wow, that entails. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's a beautiful thing to me to be able to just be mm-hmm. close to the people and closest to the issues mm-hmm. and being able to make those decision-making processes without a lot of the... Um, politics although i'm sure there will be some politics as possible for government (laughs) yeah thank you for that and so um as we are transitioning um and wrapping up i just i wanted to make sure that people really knew just how much the county touches because i feel like it's that it's that level of government that is is not really focused on a lot in our political discourse we talk a lot about city we talk about state we talk about like congress and and in the national and the federal level, but we don't always talk about the county. So I just want to make sure we have that good level set. So thank you. Yeah. Um, and so you're you're past the primary, which is huge, and um, you have a very strong showing there, but you still have some time left in campaign season. Um, people are gonna hear this near the very end of campaign season, but we're recording this like a couple months early, <laughs> but um still um i just want people to know how can people support you um in the midst of this campaign season what can they do where can they reach you um how can they support your campaign so there's um many different ways um i am a bit big picture thinker mm-hmm. and so the big picture is is that um what i've seen and what i learned and what i know is that democrats are really um for the people, you know, <laughs> um, in the best way possible, you know, politics shows up and that's that. But we are in a moment in time, mm-hmm. you know, whether we're talking about human rights, whether we're talking about access to the to the to vote, uh, mm-hmm. women rights. Um, I mean, there is just so much at stake at this moment that um, we need to vote. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be. I am a door knocker. Yes, we have to do a knock. We have to do a knock my district. And if you're open to believing that uh, we need to keep a Democratic governor and a Democratic attorney general, I say join my team so that we can join these other uh, candidates to help make sure that people are informed about the moment that we're in right now mm-hmm. and the importance of going to the polls and voting. I have a fundraiser that is coming up on September the first which by the time you air this they yeah, won't they're hear not gonna it, hear it. <laughs> they won't hear that 
you know, what you're going to, they can always keep in mind that, you know, um, um, I was able to really hold strong in the, in the primary and I'm only going to work harder to make sure that I win the general election. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I will be in office. I am um, running on a campaign in the candidacy that says that this is not just about me. This is about us. I do believe that those who have lived experience should always be at the table with me making decisions about how we move forward. Mm-hmm. So reach out to me. You know, if you have a particular issue that you care about, uh, reach out. We'll figure that out with that number or that email is. Uh, I am currently still the state representative until um, January of 2023. So I'm still doing constituent services. So if you have something, an issue uh, and you're from my district that you would like for me to um, know about, hear about and try to help you solve it, you can always give me a call. Um, at 651-296-5158. That's 651-296-5158. Or you can email me at rep, R-E-P, dot Rena, dot Moran, at house, dot M-N. I am still open for business. Yes, I am (laughs) taking care of constituent services right now. And I'm also uh, running a campaign at the same time. Absolutely. And so uh, I need partners in this work. So contact me, um, share with me, you know, your concerns or how you would like to see our city and our county and our neighborhoods move forward. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, gosh, I really enjoyed this conversation with you, Representative Moran. Um, Thank you so much for your wisdom. And once again, thank you so much for your service. Um, and we wish you all the best luck um, in this campaign season. I know that you're you're going to crush it. You're going to be an amazing commissioner. I'm so Aww. excited for this new season for you in your service to our community. It's going to be awesome. I just yeah. know it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I just want to say to you that, you know, I like your title, The Revival, mm-hmm. right? Um and in that spirit, recognizing that um, in those moments that, you know, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing or felt like I was like one out of 134 that I would be in a caucus meeting. And I'm like, no one is seeing my world the way I see it. That is not the solution that I see needs to be put forth or that is not how I see it you know my world was just my world um it was in those hard moments or uncertain uncertainties that God delivered a message to me Mm. right about what those next steps needed to be you know he still wakes me up every morning really early and started talking to me right and I know it's him because I usually don't want to do it I'm using it like, oh, not something else you want me to do, or you want me to call who, or he just gives me directions. He gives me my directions early in the morning. So I'm usually like, I follow up. I, I get on my phone. I start texting people. I write down my notes in my in my notes in my phone. And um, I follow up in what I have learned. 
and what I have witnessed and what I am a witness of, of his mercy, right? And his grace, but also his clear direction for me to be um, an entity on this earth to do the work for his people. Yeah. And so, um, I like to say, I try my best. I try my best to, so thankful that I'm able to hear him speak. So, so thankful because I was not always able to hear. And I didn't. Amen. I, you know, I'm so thankful that he took someone like me, right, with seven kids, just, just, you know, and carried me. You know, and so I have not, you know, I don't know where I would be if I did not heave to him saying to me, move to Minnesota. Mm. Right. I heard him. Mm-hmm. And I know it wasn't me because I like who moved from one cold place to another cold space? <laughs> who moved to a space where there's not a lot of blacks? Mm-hmm. Uh, who does that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, some people do they do it for work and for other reasons and purposes but i left behind everything everything i heard his voice he said it and i heaved to it and so i just say for those who are struggling and saying you know i can't or why or you know listen in those darkest moments you have a god who hears you who knows you, he hears your cries, he knows you. And just say yes. Y'all, I don't know what I want to do after listening to that conversation with Representative Moran. I don't know if I want to shout, if I want to sing, praise. I think it's just, or just be silent. I think there is so much in that conversation that we had, more than just talking about politics. At the heart of it was hearing her testimony, hearing how she got over it, how she made it through. And how she pours out her love for God into the community. And so I am just so blessed to know someone who is truly living out her faith in action. Thank you so much, Representative Moran, for being on the show. If you want to support more content like this, y'all, I need you to get on your phones, get on your laptops, however you pull up your podcast and go look us up. Look up the Revival Podcast on Apple on Spotify, on Google, on iHeartRadio, and subscribe, okay? So you will know each and every week when episodes are coming out. If you have something to share about this episode, please leave a comment, rate, review. We want to hear from you what is resonating. You can also follow us on social media at Instagram and Facebook at The Revival MN. Thank you so much for your support of this endeavor, of this ministry, all of the love and prayers and engagement and just support. It just, 
it continues to confirm why this platform is needed. So thank you all so much. I'm excited to bring you another conversation in our Revive the Vote series next week with another special elected official. Till then, we will see you soon. We love you. We are lifting you up in prayer. Thank you so much. And we will see you next week for another episode of The Revival. Faith, justice, and culture for the now generation.